there are people who like, oh yeah, it must be nice, right? And it's like, you have no idea what I what the literal blood, sweat, and tears that you go through to what you have to sacrifice and kind of live below your means and like get to where you are and doesn't just happen overnight. This is The Real Estate Pod. I'm Ed Barone, co-founder of Rent Ready, the platform that makes renting easy for landlords and tenants. With this podcast, we aim to help landlords learn, scale, and invest. We also want to help you tackle the business side of real estate investing because being an investor or getting your first investment requires you to be an entrepreneur. It's about mindset and strategy. We partner with successful real estate investors, offering you advice and guidance on how to get started, how to scale your real estate portfolio, and how to run your business for profit. Before we get started, for those of you who aren't familiar with Rent Ready, we're an all-in-one property management platform. We help landlords manage tenants and properties by providing services for every step of the landlord process, including payments, finding the best tenants, lease signing, communications, maintenance, and a whole lot more. Stacy Rossetti is hosting the show today as part of a series that focuses on conversations with the women who are crushing it in real estate. Stacy herself is a real estate investing expert and coach out in Peachtree, Georgia, who specializes in real estate investing, rehabbing, and storage units. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. This is Stacy Rossetti, and I am back again with another badass woman investor. I want to introduce Alicia Jarbo. She lives in Massachusetts, and she's going to introduce all the different things that she does that's amazing as a, as a female investor. In, in, introduce yourself, Alicia. Thank you, Stacy, and thanks so much for having me today. Um, I am Alicia Jarbo. I'm in central Massachusetts, and my husband and I run a real estate team out of Keller Williams. Uh, we also invest locally, so we have some multis that we're holding. We are in the middle of a flip right now, but some other condos and things like that. So I'm sort of the integrator implementer of the group here, um, kind of taking care of everything from property management to uh, contracts and leasing and and paperwork and listing properties and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, less than a decade ago, we lost everything. So we were negative, you know, our life started out as a negative balance sheet, if you will, um, to where we are now. And we're, you know, we just bought a single family home for ourselves, which we've been together 16 years and have never had. Um, so it's kind of really cool to see the iteration of nothing to, to where we are now. Um, we also have a nonprofit given some of the hardships that we went through. So we have, you know, the business, the investments, the nonprofit and all that. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about us. Y'all have like a lot going on, it sounds like. <laughs> just a little. We have, a, you know, I'm, he's almost six, so we have a little guy, you know, kind of crazy running oh, around too. So just throw that out there. I have a five-year-old daughter. <laughs> I have a five-year-old okay. daughter, so I totally get it. Get it, yeah. That's a lot of work. Uh, um, okay, so um, of all the different types of investments that you've done, which are the ones that you like to do the best? That's a good question. So I, I think we... I like to do the flips because it's a little more instant gratification. Like you can finish it, flip it, make make a few bucks, right? Um, but I do really like the hold, whether we're holding a condo that's just you taking some rent, you pay a condo fee and like make a little bit of money. Um, and then the multis, like, you know, some of those make a lot of money every month. So it's nice to to kind of, I, you know, a lot is subjective, but even if it's a few grand a month in a building, you're like, okay, like I can make make this money and then next month. And it just keeps kind of accruing knowing that in 30 years or however long you've refied for or whatever you can, you'd be done and you'd have all this equity in it. And now your cash flow is even better. So I like those just for the long-term aspect. They make me feel a little bit more secure than like a flip. That's like, okay, I'm putting all this money in. Like, am I going to sell it? Am I going to get rid of it? So I think that's probably what I prefer. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always tell everybody like it's good to do, it's good to balance everything, right? Yeah, active a little bit of everything. And passive. Yeah. So that way you have money coming in, but at the same time you have that like steady paycheck that you know you're going to get like on a regular basis or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And that's our real estate business would be like our, what do you call it? Like your dinner money, right? Like our life money is really our, our real estate business where we're helping other people buy and sell and invest and run their numbers and buy again and list for them when they flip and things like that. So that's really the, uh, a chunk of our money is really just our, our regular business. I mean, what do you mean? Like you're like, they're coming to you and asking you to find, find property or like, what does that mean? Yeah. So we have a real estate business. So we help people buy, sell and invest. So um, we have investors who repeat business with us, who, you know, buy with us and then sell their flips with us or buy investments with us. We help them rent them. Um, so we are licensed real estate agents as well. And then we have, I don't want to say regular people, but you're, you know, your average client who's like, Hey, I want to just sell my house and buy something bigger because I had more babies or, you know, Hey, I'm getting older and I want to downsize and I'm so-and-so's parents or, you know, so we run like a, a, I could say like a regular real estate team. Okay. Okay. So you have the, um, you have the real estate, you have like your real estate business or being like a realtor. And then you also have like the investment side as well too. Yep. Okay. So tell me like the progression of like how you got to be like such a badass women investor. <laughs> what did you start out with? And then where are you at now? Kind of how did it work? Oh, great. So um, I was at a high-end millwork and construction company for about nine years prior to coming into real estate, which is I think my five-year anniversary full-time is this month. Um, and, you know, I was living my life, like had a nine to five kind of, kind of thing. Um, and then my husband was in car sales and decided we made a very conscious decision. Like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to do car sales anymore. I'm going to go into real estate because not only do I think I can make more money in the long term, and kind of your ceiling is you make what you're willing to put in for effort essentially. Um, and then we can learn about investing and do all the stuff for ourselves and, you know, make money to invest and things like that. And, um, I made that decision knowing that some of our personal expenses very shortly after doubled some of our health insurance, things like that got real expensive. Um, So we cut our income in half. Like we lost an income to start real estate. You don't get paid day one. Um, And we started going through a really hard time and tried to deed and loo, tried to rent our condo, like the whole bit. Uh, The bank who shall remain nameless at the moment um, didn't want to play ball and uh, ended up foreclosing on us. We moved before you know, the auction or anything like that. I was already coming home to things on the doorknob and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not doing this. So we moved out to get a rental. Um, they still ended up selling it later for, I think what we had given them an offer for, which would have short sailed it at the time. And then, and I've never heard this and I'm in real estate. They actually sued us for the deficiency from the foreclosure. So we had to settle with the bank. Um, so we started out negative. I mean, we kept our cars cause you know, and then paid them off and knew that like we needed to work. So we needed our cars. Um, Yes, yeah, so and just kind of started building from there. We bought our first. Um, but when, so when was that? Like, what year was that? That was 2013. Was when it okay. like officially closed. So it was kind of like 12, 13. Okay. Or early 13. So maybe like 11, 12. Um, I can't believe they were doing that at that time. That's when everybody was like coming back from everything. Yeah, I have no idea what. Uh, I still haven't heard it happen to people. So, um, Which so then by. <laughs> I think I may tell people for them, but I'm like, I'll just never do business with them. Yeah. So summer of 13, we had been, we officially were debt free. So we had no car payments, no credit cards. Everything was kind of settled out and done by then. Um, we were renting. And then when, as soon as we were able to buy our first property, we house hacks, which is the first thing you're allowed to do. You can't buy a straight up investment property for seven years. 
Um, but after I think it's three or four years, you can buy like an owner occupied multi. So that's what we did first. Um, mm-hmm. lived what in is like, what's, what's house hacking just in case like people don't know what yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, so house hacking is when you buy a multifamily property, um, a property that you can live in, but also rent out other portions of it. Um, and essentially you're, you're able, because it's your primary residence, able to put down like three or three and a half percent versus 25, 30% as a investor. Mm-hmm. So you're able to do that because it's technically a primary residence. Like I think it's three years after. So we did that, bought a four unit, pretty much it wasn't gutted, but it was bad. <laughs> like we, you know, redid everything, including like plumbing stack kitchens, like, you know, heating systems, the whole bit. So where, um, where did y'all get the money for that? Um, well, we actually bought it for a decent price and then we did a renovation loan and then we refed out of the renovation loan when we were done. So we only had three, three and a half because that was a few years after we were debt free. So by then we were just paying rent and just trying to save up to, to do that. Um, and you know, and then real estate got better for him after being in it for a little while. Um, So I mean, like basically what I'm hearing is like, if you don't have any money, this is a great way to go about doing it. Absolutely. You started out with no money, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, if you even if you bought something for say three hundred, it depends on whose market it is. It's like nine, ten thousand dollars plus closing costs. I mean, that's a lot easier to save than what would you need seventy five grand if you're buying investment property. It's definitely the way to go. I do just urge people. I've had people be like, "Oh, I'm just going to buy my single family and house hack later." I'm like, "No, you're not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, if you live in a single family, you are not going to want to downsize and live in your multi. Um, so if you're going to do it, I would do it first. Do it young." Okay. Um, I mean, we had a little kid and then we were, you know, we were in the third floor and we just rented out the first floor and we were still living there looking for something else. And, um, we met these great tenants and they're like, we really want one of the three beds. And they were, they were, they're actually just renewed again. So they're, they've been around for quite a while and we're like, oh man, they'd be great. And he looks at me, he goes, do you just want to move to the studio? And I was like 450 square feet. We have two cats and a three-year-old. This is going to be fun. So um, I agreed. I just told him by, you know, my birthday and our son's birthday are in November. I said, by, by then we have to be somewhere else. And this was just before COVID. So we moved out late October. Um, when COVID happened, we bought a few more multis in the same area um, and house hacked one of those. So we like moved to a first floor and that was yeah less than six months before COVID. So that would have been awful trying to work from home and have a toddler at home and in that small space. So then we moved to a different unit and then we just moved into a right, you know, a single family house a couple months ago. So we were there for a little while also kind of. You said, you said a lot through. like us too. We like, we live, well, see, we downsized. So we lived in like in a 2,400 square foot a house. And then we got rid of everything and moved into like a 600 square foot house. Oh my God. And now and we have a daughter, we have a daughter and a three <laughs> dogs and my husband and it was like and that 600 square foot house it just it was so small and uh and but now we live in an rv we're like we oh now my travel over an rv so but you're that's a lot like this living in a small, small space is like when you're living in it you're just like why am i doing this you know but then yeah. when you get like how do you feel now from going from like this small living space to this huge living space are you just like freedom um a little it's kind of amazing right so there are people who like you know might come to my house now and be like oh yeah it must be nice right and it's like you have no idea what I was the literal blood sweat and tears that you go through to what you have to sacrifice and kind of live below your means and like you know get to where you are and doesn't just happen overnight um so we came here we start you know we had to get some new stuff and there there's extra rooms and things we didn't have obviously but we actually, we started putting stuff in like the garage and the basement and here and he was like where was all this stuff before 
Like we settled in and filled it out much more than I expected for how much stuff was either stored or, you know, it, we had a couple storage places in, in the buildings, whether it was like a shed where yard stuff was, or that would go in my garage now, or like the front area had all these suitcases and, and boxes and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, they belong somewhere now, but we filled it out what, much more quickly than I expected. So yeah. clearly we've been busting at the seams for a little longer than we thought. Yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. It feels so good to like, you know, uh, like have a place for your stuff. Just so nice, you know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's good. It's good. Okay, good. Okay. All right. So you started it out. So, you, so you've been house hacking essentially for a while now, and then you finally moved into single family. And are y'all focusing most mostly still on multifamily or what, what are y'all's like long-term goals? Um, so long-term is to hold the multis that we have. Um, this flip that we're doing right now literally fell in our lap. So that was sort of an unexpected because we closed on it like two weeks after we bought our regular house. And I was like, I just, I can't, you know, and a bunch of our rentals either turn over or renew June, July, and August. So I was like, this is hell of a time to buy a flip. Um, um, but the long-term plan, I think the long-term plan at this point is we'll sell the flip very shortly, but, um, the longer term plan is either dump some money. We know a bunch of people with either syndications or funds and things like that. So we might diversify a little bit more and make here, take, take this chunk of money and just give me a little more money back. Um, be a little bit more passive with some of those investments. Um, if the right deal came along, multis are just stupid money right now where we are. Um, you, the month, the numbers just don't make sense, I guess, unless you're living in it or trying to reduce your rent or something like that. But, um, as a straight investment, they're, really difficult to make work right now where where, um, where do y'all invest at in massachusetts like which areas uh worcester worcester massachusetts so it's about an hour west of boston okay okay all right cool um so it's a major crazy. city is it yep. crazy market there right now or it's crazy it's it's calmed down slightly with summer a little bit mix of i think buyer fatigue um vacations things like that so some of the open houses are you know not crazy lines or um, you're in multiple offer situations, but maybe not as insane. I've gotten a couple offers accepted lately for people that were like at asking with a real home inspection. And that's like, that was not something we could do a few months ago. So, um, but you know, I submitted an offer someone yesterday for like 70 over ask and like, he still didn't get it. So it kind of still depends on the neighborhoods and how much inventory is in those neighborhoods and stuff. So it still really is crazy. And the multi-market here is honestly just stupid. Like the numbers are stupid. So um, the longer term plan for us will be, like I said, that passive, um, if we can get our hands on something like industrial or commercial where you, you own it, but again, like some of the management is much more passive than like owning a multi where someone's calling you about the sink leaking or, or something like that. I think that would sort of be next for us too. Well, that's what I do. I do storage facilities. We oh yeah. That's what we do. We own storage. If you, if you want some, so I tell everyone the lazier I get, the, the more I invest, <laughs> the lazier I get. Right. And it's like yep. storage is like, you're just so lazy. So we travel. That's why we live in Norway. We travel all the time. So you should really look into some storage yep. stuff, except for it's going to be a little bit more expensive up where you're at. I have, I have a couple of students up in the Northeast and it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's like, well, it's going to be cheaper than multifamily, but the cap rates are going to be higher, higher than multifamily cap rates, you know, but yeah, you should look into that. That'd be good. Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about like, uh, you know, what does your company look like? How do y'all, is it just you and your husband managing everything and doing everything or what is it? How does it, their team look like? Uh, so it is right now we have an admin who's our transaction coordinator for our business who also, if I'm like, Hey, go scan this, send this out. Like, you know, some little stuff like that, that I have to take care of on property management. He, um, 
is running numbers and looking for deals. And I'm doing contracts, writing leases, um, listing properties, um, and pretty much everything that like an integrator would do to make it, make it happen. Like he's like got the big ideas and Hey, let's do this thing. And I'm like, okay, but now I got to call the dumpster guy. And, Oh, I got to, you know, I had to have him go pick that up this afternoon and then, you know, call this person. He's talking to a painter right now, but I'm like, I can't do that right now. So um, it takes a little bit of everything. So it, it mostly is the two of us. He does the majority of our listings. Um, I'm handling a lot of our buyers for, you know, our regular business. So it's kind of a mix. It's hard to say. Someone asked me, I think, like how your time blocking every day looks. And I'm like, dude, I'm a big like checklist kind of person. I'm like, I got these five things that have to get done today. And then if the emails, if other responses, you know, if I can get to this, if it gets done, but like tomorrow, I'm like, okay, my, my studio, my furnished studio, I need to write a new lease for that. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's something I have to do tomorrow that can't move off tomorrow. So I kind of just deal with it as it comes, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of details. It's a lot of just like, I would say very task-based just because it's like, Hey, do this thing. And it's not something that's like six months from now that needs to get done. It's like, it's today, it's tomorrow. It's this week kind of stuff. So now fires is what you're doing. Yeah. So are y'all doing Airbnb too? Like you said, you said a furnished apartment or whatever. What's that? We have one. So that studio that they, we were in briefly, he was like, again, the big idea is like, Hey, let's, let's furnish it. And I was like, Oh man, I don't really want to spend all this money to furnish something. Like I have no idea what the furnished market even is where we are, but we, some of the properties are in between two major hospitals. And so we get residents, a uh, few of our tenants are even like students and, and things like that, working on PhD degrees, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, so we furnished a studio right after we moved out, had people there, I think for Thanksgiving after, after we were gone and then have some uh, traveling nurses and things like that stay a few months at a time. So, you know, we Airbnb in between, but last year we had two nurses uh, for most of the year, like kind of half and half. And then the, the week and a half in between we Airbnb every night, but one. Um, and then I think we just didn't for Christmas Eve because she moved out right before someone else moved in after New Year's. So I think we had maybe two nights of vacancy last year. Um, and that's 450 foot square, huh, 450 square foot studio made me more money in 2020 than my three beds. Um, are you serious? So yeah, I was going to ask like, are you making money on that thing? And how much do you rent? Like what's a typical price out there for like a studio for a night? Uh, I pulled, someone asked if there was rentals for like, I don't know, they had like a thousand bucks or something. And I was like, none of my stuff's like that. So I was like, I pulled MLS out of my curiosity. And I was like the cheapest rental in Worcester at the time when I looked a few weeks ago didn't matter what I pulled for criteria was like 1300. So, I mean, where any, and that, I don't know if that was a studio when I was probably one bed, um, depends what kind of building and where in the city De- depends a lot. All of our stuff's between like 15 and 17, that studio's 1875 furnished and they pick up the electric. So it's, that yeah, I mean, they pay it cause they're traveling nurses. They don't want to bring all their stuff. They're coming from Carolina or Minnesota or wherever they're coming from. So, yeah. um, yeah, it works out. So, I mean, I just pay water and sewer on that building and they're pretty easy going because they don't have, there's nothing to fix, right? It's all their furniture. It's all my furniture. It's, you know. Do you do have like a minimum like stay or something for them? Or is that, um, yeah. I mean, if I write a lease for someone staying and it's kind of taken off the Airbnb platform, like 30 days would be probably the minimum to do that. But it, when it's available, like someone could just go on Airbnb and book a night. Okay. So there isn't really, a, I mean, there'd be a minimum to write a lease versus like just keeping them at the Airbnb rate because the Airbnb rate I think would get, I don't know, like a hundred a night or something. So it's more if someone were to book a couple weeks there versus me pulling them out and paying half of the month. Is that like something that y'all are interested in doing more of or y'all are just like, no, this one is enough? 
Um, we've talked about it and we talked about doing it to one of our first floor units. And then I was a little weary about having like lease tenants where they were coming in the same door, like an Airbnb person, like one night at a time was had access to the building where that, that unit that we have opens its door opens out onto the street separately from the main door to the building. So, you know, an Airbnb one night person can't get into the building where people have leases. And I think that was my weird brain of like security issues of like we have a one-off one night different person the next night different person the next night like does all these people have a door code do all these people get into the building um so i think it's an option at some point i think some of the buildings that we have condos in or have had condos in um have restrictions against that so even though they'd be great spaces for it um they have requirements on landlords you have to have like one year leases or six month minimum kind of thing so if we did it like that, we'd have to like really backlog furnished finder or, you know, long-term nurses versus using Airbnb as the platform. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, so like, do you have any, like uh, for all the people that are listening, especially the women that are listening, uh, like what are some, uh, you know, what would be like some advice that you would give like for first time, like people trying to get into, you know, to investing as especially as a female? Um, I don't know if I have any female specific advice. I know house hacking would be one of them. Like we talked about not having a lot of money up front to, to put towards properties. It's a really great place to start and gives you a place to live for free. Um, I think kind of worst case scenario, you might have to pay a couple hundred bucks a month, depending on what kind of property you buy, but generally maybe you make a couple hundred bucks a month pays for your electric bill or something. Um, other advice. So sometimes it really is just about, I hate the word sacrificing, but sacrificing or like living below your means and when all your friends want to go out drinking on a Friday night, you say no, because that 50 bucks you could put towards something else. You can save it towards something. And making those decisions is really, really hard. And it's it's a lot easier to say than do. And I can say that from experience, um, you know, and give advice on like what not to do and how not to to go through that. But I, you know, appreciate that experience as part of who we are now. Um, other advice for first timers. I mean, if you're in real estate, it's a really great, great way to learn. Um, if you know investors, even shadowing them, whether they're going inspections or showing things like that, just to kind of get to know them a little bit more and get to know what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some calculators, but I think there's some online too about rate of returns and IRR and how much split money you have left and, and things like that to see if deals even make sense. There's some basic calculators for like 1% rules and stuff like that. So get familiar with your, with numbers. Um, you know, the only, I wouldn't really recommend ever overpaying, which is why we're not buying right now. Um, I guess the only time that would make sense is if you plan to refi later or, or live in it for free. So that's some of my pretty, you know, basic advice on just get to know it, get, get your feet wet. If you don't get in it and you don't talk about it, you don't listen to it. You're just probably just not going to do it. Did you guys, were you like a realtor first and then investor or investor than a realtor? How did that work out? Oh, I'm thinking the time on, I had my license for a couple of years before I came over full time and we bought our first property. Well, if it's, I'm starting to think of the time. And so it's five years now that I've been in real estate full time. My kid will be six. So he was about nine months old when I came over full time. And I had my real estate license for a couple of years before that. And we bought our first property when he was a year, year and a half or something, maybe a year and a half. So we were definitely, uh, I had a license before I, yeah, I think I had a license before we bought and he was in real estate before we bought the property. So we definitely didn't do it prior to that. You reckon you like recommend, uh, you know, people getting their, their license. Does that help nowadays? Or is it like, you don't really, I mean, it, 
It does if you're going to sell other stuff too, unless you plan on doing a lot of flips or selling yourself. I mean, you'd save that commission to a listing agent. You're still paying a buyer's agent to bring a buyer. But if you plan on flipping a bunch and listing a bunch of properties, it might make sense for you to get your license just to avoid some of that commission. Um, you know, you just have to disclose like, Hey, I'm a partial owner or I have owner interest or, you know, something like that in the property. Um, I'd recommend that if you're going to do a lot of it, if you have a realtor that you work with all the time that you'd prefer to just do it and save yourself the fees and the, cause you have to pay an office, you have to pay MLS, you have to do that kind of stuff to collect any money, um, and to list. So unless you're going to do it a ton, it's probably not a great idea, but if you're going to flip a bunch and you'd rather just kind of be a for sale by owner, but have a license behind you, um, it would make a good amount of sense. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it, Lita. Yeah, thank you. So how can people get a hold of you, contact you? Can you give them some information about that before we leave? Yeah, so um, really easy to connect with. So if you went on our website, thejarbogroup.com, um, there's a contact page on there. Um, I think the main phone number is on there, which so kind of didn't matter which way you emailed or or text or filled out a form submission, even on our um, nonprofit website, thejarbofoundation.org. Um, any of those ways, like 99% of them, I'm either going to get on my phone or be able to see when I'm at a computer. It kind of doesn't matter who they go to. So every now and then our transaction coordinator gets an email or, or Justin's main inbox or the phone number. And I'm like, oh, I see them all anyway. So I just tell people like, whatever way you want to reach out, I'll, I'll find it. I'm on Facebook. Um, our business is on Facebook. Our uh, nonprofits on Facebook. Our business on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. So there's a ton of ways to, to find me. Okay. So jarbogroup.com. The Jarbo Group. Yep. Okay. So the Jarbo Group.com. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank, you for, thank you for coming and, and, and talking to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Everybody take care and I will see you guys at the next, uh, at the next uh, video. All right. And make sure you check out Rent Ready for me, please. They are the sponsors and the hosts of this. So just go to rentready.com and they are a property management software. So let them, um, you know, and if you have properties, let them help you manage the properties. Okay. All right. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. We're so grateful to be able to learn from these active investors, entrepreneurs, and all around amazing individuals who want to share their success with you. The real estate investing community really is a unique community to be a part of. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can rate or review the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to. It would mean a great deal to us to learn what you like, what you don't like, and even questions we can answer on your behalf. You can also subscribe to The Real Estate Pod on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.